Welcome back to Chi Alpha, everyone. I'm so thankful that you're here, and I'm thankful for all that God has been doing over this last month or so. If we haven't got the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek. I'm the director of Chi Alpha. If this is your first time, thank you for being here. I pray that you meet with God tonight. As you heard during announcements, LTC, or Leadership Training Class, is upon us. LTC is one of my favorite things that we do in Chi Alpha World. I love that we get to equip and empower the next generation of leaders. And watching what God does in you, him start to do through you as you lead other people. And then like Maggie said, LTC launch is an incredible party. We've got some awesome few weeks ahead. If you have not signed up for LTC yet, it is not too late. Like they said, you could, the goal would be to sign up by tomorrow at 9 a.m. because that's when we're going to start putting people in what class they're in. But if you have to sign up after that, we'll get you in a class. But if you want your top choice, sign up then. And I highly encourage you to take LTC, even if you're not sure if you want to be a small group leader because you will learn a ton, you will grow. Even if you're pretty new to Chi Alpha, you're not too new for LTC. We don't have, you have to have been to a certain amount of services. None of that stuff. One of our best small group leaders, his name is Thomas, and he came to Chi Alpha like a week before LTC, and now he's leading. Let's give Thomas a round of applause, yes. He's handsome and everything that the Lord asks of. Not, that's okay, a little bit too much. But anyways, you should ask Thomas, because he legit was in Chi Alpha for a couple weeks before signing up for LTC, and now he's getting the lead. So you're not too new to Chi Alpha to at least see what this leadership thing's about. I also want you to know that if you sign up for LTC, again, it's not you committing to becoming a small group leader. It's not you like signing that part of your life away. No, it's just you giving God an opportunity to say, I want to see what you've got for me and maybe learn a few more things. You will not regret LTC, and you want to give that opportunity because who knows what God is going to ask of you over the next couple months because as we go on this leadership journey. I've had multiple students tell me that LTC is when they most grew as a Jesus follower. I was asking one of my guys this week, like, when do you think you're closest to Jesus? Like, LTC. It was awesome. I didn't make that up. That actually happened. And then plus, being a small group leader is one of the coolest jobs in the world. Amen? Amen. Small group leaders are the heroes of Chi Alpha, actually. Yeah, we'll do it. All right, we're going to celebrate our small group leaders. So I want everyone who's not a small group leader to stand up right now and give a standing ovation to your small group leader. Thank them for who they are. They hate this. Some of them like it. Uh, that's good. All right, now on your way down, you can like tackle them or give them a kiss on the cheek or just... Just kidding. Don't, hey, pay attention. I'm going to talk now, okay? Uh, it's going to be good. Small group leaders, we love you so much. I'm so proud of all of you. There's no one else I'd rather go on this journey of life with. Love you guys so much. All right, tonight we're going to be finishing our sermon series, Ready for Revival. We've started 2024 by preparing our hearts for what God wants to do next. We believe that 2024 is the year of revival. We believe that God wants to breathe new life here at UNI. He wants to see our hearts inflamed with the things of him. He wants to see hundreds, if not thousands, of students come to know Jesus. See, God comes where he is wanted, and we want him here. We're going to be finishing this series by going through a story in Mark chapter 9. If you have a Bible, open up. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one after service in the back. But it'll be Mark chapter 9, so you can open that up right now. All right, right before the story we're going to read tonight, Jesus takes his closest disciples, which was Peter, James, and John. They go up a mountain, and something called the Transfiguration happens. I don't have time to explain this. It's kind of wacky. But anyways, wacky stuff happens up a mountain. And then Jesus and his closest friends start walking down the mountain, and then they see in the distance a commotion happening. They kind of like look a little bit, 
They get their phones out, zoom in. Just kidding, they don't do that. But they see their disciples are kind of arguing with other people. They're like, why are, why are our friends fighting with people? I picture it like when you're walking, if you've ever had like friends who you walk into the cafeteria and they're like squaring up with another friend group and they're ready to fight them. That's how I picture Jesus. He's like walking down the mountain like I'm about to fight somebody, okay? Just kidding, that's not Jesus. He wasn't gonna fight anyone. But they were getting into an argument. His friends were getting ready to throw down. So he comes down and Jesus is like, okay, what's going on? So in Mark chapter nine, verses 14 through 29, it says this, and let's quiet our souls and listen to what God wants to speak. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams in the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long do I have to stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foamed at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been going on? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us, Jesus. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Our sermon title tonight is Faith in a Time of Revival. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for everything that you're doing here, and we pray that as we open the word tonight and just navigate what you're trying to say, that you will speak to our hearts tonight, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Have you ever let fear of failure keep you from doing something? Growing up, there's a girl, and I had a crush on her from legit like sixth grade until I graduated. She was in all my classes, student body president. She was probably like my best friend that was a girl. I was very much infatuated with her. I remember in middle school, I tried really hard to work up the courage to ask her out. We had a homecoming dance, and I was like, this is my time. I've been like, it's been like two years since we got to know each other. I'm like, I'm going to ask her out. So I get ready to go do it, and then I learn that a different guy had already asked her out because I waited too long. The crush did not stop there, though, don't you worry. It continued to high school. And then what would happen is usually about once a year, sometimes twice a year, I would talk myself into it. I'd like stare in the mirror. I'm going to be a man now. Today is my day. I'm like getting ready, pumping my shoulders up. Like I am going to ask her out. And so I'd be pumped. I'd go into the school day ready to roll. I'd see her in the corner of school and I'd walk up to her. I'd be like, hey, yo, girl, you and me, let's keep being friends. And I'd walk away because I always chickened out. Every time I would get scared, I never could do it and ask her out. My fear of failure, my fear of this not working out kept me from this. Because see, when you're asking someone out, unless you're really creepy and use your friends to get inside information, I could not with 100% certainty know how she was going to respond. Asking her out was going to require me to take a step of faith. 
the real irony in all this is my senior year, we were both getting ready to go off to college, and she's like, why did you never ask me out? She's like, I gladly would have went out with you, but I thought you weren't interested. I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. I was so mad for so long. I, I legit probably felt like an idiot until I met Taylor, my now wife, but I didn't let fear stop me from asking her out, did I, baby? Two babies later, come on, somebody, somebody didn't let fear stop them. Amen. Okay, we got claps. That's good. Like the three, like, pity claps. Thank you for that. That's good. They're like, we know you had to, like, pray over her or something for that to work out, but Lord, thank you. See, I think many of us really struggle with fear, specifically a fear of failure, a fear of doing something when we can't guarantee success. In our age of research, we can usually know every little piece of information or detail about something before we make a decision. We can research like a thousand items before deciding which one we're going to buy. We can look at reviews of hundreds of restaurants before we pick one to go out to eat. We use information sometimes in a way that it limits our need for faith. Many of us probably didn't try new things growing up. If we were scared, we wouldn't be good at them. We would let fear of rejection keep us from new friendships, dating relationships, or even gospel conversations. In these challenging moments, we are given a question. Will we let fear define us or faith? We've spent this month asking, are we ready for revival? We want revival. We want God to do something unheard of on campus. We've been crying out for this for years. Since some of you were in elementary school, we've been crying out for revival on this campus. But do we actually think he can do it? Do we actually believe that God can turn you and I upside down? Do we actually believe that the 10,000 students of you and I can come to know Jesus? To make it more personal, because maybe you're like, bro, I just got here. I've not been praying since fifth grade for revival here. I've just been praying for like two seconds because you made me. And so maybe you're here and that's where you're at. That's all right. Maybe there's something in your own life that you've been longing for. Maybe there's some area that you want God or some force or something to come through in. And you're just struggling to believe that that area of your life can actually see change. Maybe you've wrestled with something like mental illness or some family problem or even getting through school. There's some area that's really been hard for you and you want to see breakthrough, but you're just not sure if life can ever look different than it does right now. Or maybe you want to make an impact for the kingdom of God, but you doubt that God could ever use you. Maybe you think, I'm not good enough. I don't want to fail. See, I think a lot of us want to be full of faith, but we tend to be full of doubt. Tonight's story is all about a man who was desperate. He was desperate to see his little boy healed. He wanted God to move, but would he let a fear of failure keep him from asking God to move? Would fear define him or faith? Our story starts with a man asking Jesus' other disciples, like, hey, will you heal my son? And he sees no fruit. He takes a small step of faith. He doesn't go to the big guy right away. He goes to the little guys. He gets up the courage to ask him, but they stunk it up and couldn't heal him. Thank you, disciples, for all your help. His boy is still in pain. But he's desperate enough to keep going. So as soon as the father sees Jesus, he runs up to him. He tells him what's going on. And in verse 22, he works with the courage to say this. Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. If you can do anything. Clearly, this man had at least some hope that Jesus could move. But he wasn't certain because he's asking. A bedrock of everything we're going to talk about tonight is that God can move in your life. God is bigger than your worries, your fears, your doubts. God is bigger than any problem you have. 
But see, this man was struggling to recognize this. He was struggling to have hope. I'm assuming this man had put his hope in doctors. He had put his hope in maybe other gods he's prayed to, maybe his family. He put his hope in a lot of other things. He put his hope in these disciples, and they all came short. So the dad is probably losing hope when he comes to Jesus. But he's like, I'll give it one more try. So then he puts his hope in the compassion of this guy named Jesus. In the face of failure, hard things, that's where hope is found. Hope is found in the compassion of Jesus. And I use that word very specifically. In the verse, the father asks Jesus for pity, pretty much. He says, if you have pity on me. The book of Mark, where this story comes from, was originally written in the Greek language. In the Greek language, the word that we translate to pity is actually best translated to mean to have compassion on. So he's not necessarily asking for pity. The better translation is the father saying, if you'll have compassion on me, if you'll be moved with the compassion, help us. Tonight we're focusing on this idea. It's very a simple concept that we need to have faith in order for God to move. But before we can have faith in Jesus, we need to accurately understand his character. If we view Jesus as a guy who's ready to smite us whenever we screw up, or someone who doesn't care about us, if Jesus is some vengeful, vindictive God, or an absent-minded God, why would we ever approach him in faith and ask him to move in our life? We have to understand who Jesus is. And at the core of God, at the core of Jesus, is compassion. If Jesus was someone we had to perform for, we'll never approach him with faith. That'll lead us to hopelessness. But see, when God first describes himself in the book of Exodus, he describes himself as someone who is merciful, compassionate, slow to anger. That is the core of who God, of who Jesus is. So for us to be people of faith, we need to realize that God has compassion for you. Jesus, no matter what you're going through, he has compassion. He loves you. Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, feels for you. Jesus has empathy for you. And that changes everything. So the father asks Jesus, will you move if you can? And I picture it like Jesus is a little taken aback. He's like, if I can? Okay. He's like, all right, big guy. You think you don't know me? Okay, if I can. Anything is possible if you believe. When Jesus says this, he's actually asking the father a question if we dive in. What are you saying? He's saying, oh, if I can move, I can move. He's like, that's not the problem. The question is, do you have faith? I can do my part. Will you do yours? So as we go through this story, I want you to put yourself in the Father's shoes. Because we're looking at God and asking for something. We're asking God for revival. We want him to move on campus. Or we're asking God for him to come through in our life, to come through in our mental illness, to bring healing, to fix our family. We're all looking at God in some way, asking him, will you help me? And Jesus looks at this man and he asks him, do you have the faith for me to move in your life? Do you trust me? In the same way, God is looking at us tonight and saying, all things are possible. I can come through in the area you need me to come through. But do you believe? Do you trust me? So tonight we're going to spend the rest of our time walking through what faith requires. After Jesus tells the Father that all things are possible... He says, all things possible you believe. The father responds with this. It says this in Mark 9, 24. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe. Jesus tells him, if you believe, you'll see me move. The father responds confidently, I do believe. 
When the father says this, he's actually taking a huge risk. Like, what? I don't, I'm confused. Go with me. The father is risking looking really foolish. He would look really stupid if he didn't actually have faith. If he tells God, I believe, and then Jesus is like, no, you don't. You do not have any faith. What if Jesus said, you think that's faith? That's nothing, man. You don't really bring anything to the table. The father is risking looking like an idiot and being told, no, your faith's not enough. You're wrong, because he's talking to God, and God knows everything. So if he's lying, or if it's not enough, the man is risking something. He's risking failing. See, risk, risk is imperative to life with God. Risk is imperative to faith, because faith requires risk. If you want to see God move in your life, you must be willing to risk failure. You have to put yourself out there and say, hey, this might not work, but I'm going to go for it. It would have been way less risky for the father to say, all right, never mind, I don't believe. Because then he has no chance of failure. If he says, you're right, I don't believe, then Jesus isn't going to correct him. But in order for this father to later see the impossible happen, he has to risk something. See, I think many of us let a fear of failure define our lives. We're so scared of screwing up, of measuring up, that we never take risks. This lack of risk-taking hampers what God wants to do through us. Because God's not going to force you out of your comfort zone. You gotta take steps with him. Has God asked you to do something a little bit risky? To do something that you might not be good enough to do. Maybe you'll screw up. Take a step of faith. Have the boldness to say yes to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'll try. I've got a little bit of faith. This statement, I believe, not only takes risk, but it also means the man is showing us that he has a ton of honesty. I do believe. Help my unbelief. In this little phrase, the father is saying, I believe. It's a small faith, but it's what I got. See, what I love about this father, he doesn't try to fake it and perform and act like super Christian. He's like, yes, I have a lot of faith, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I could do anything as well. I have faith. I believe. I have figured this out. No, he's honest. The man doesn't act like someone he's not. He's like, hey, I've got some faith. It's not very much, though. I need your help, but this is what I've got. Faith requires giving God what you've got. I think so often in our walk with Jesus, we focus on what we don't have. We focus on our shortcomings. I don't know enough. I'm not outgoing enough. I have doubts. I struggle with sin. I'm not enough, God. But in order to see God move in your life, you do not have to have all the right answers. There's no prerequisite. You must be able to argue the whole theological scriptures of the Bible for you to be used by God. You do not have to be without sin to be used by God. No, the key to seeing God move in your life is being humble enough to be honest about where you're at and then giving God whatever you've got. I may not have much faith, Jesus, but this is what I have. So in your life, don't focus on what you don't bring to the table with God, but rather focus on what you do. What do you specifically have that you could offer up to Jesus. Maybe you don't know very much about Jesus. You're new to this thing, but you might know something. For example, maybe you know that Jesus loves you. So you might not be able to go and teach the masses about all the ins and outs of following Jesus, but you could go find someone and tell them that Jesus loves them. You know something to bring to the table, right? Or maybe you don't know much about what it looks like to follow Jesus, but you know how to be a really good friend. Okay, Instead of worrying about what you don't know, do what you've got. 
go make a friend and say, hey, I might not know everything about following Jesus, but let's figure this out together. Do what you can, be a good friend, and then work on Jesus together. We so often focus on what we can't bring to the table. Maybe you're here and you don't have very much time. Maybe you have a crazy schedule. You're taking like 55 credits. I don't think that's possible. But you're taking 55 credits, working 60 hours a week, going to small group and doing all these things. You might not have time for a lot of things. But maybe you might not have an hour to pray. Do you have 15 minutes a day you can pray? Or maybe do you have 10 minutes to talk to someone about Jesus? Maybe you can't read five chapters of the Bible a day. Could you read one? Give God what you got. Give God what you've got. One last time, I want to talk about it. We're obviously in the season of launching leadership training class. And you're like, shut up. I'll shut up soon. Don't worry. And see, we have a lot of students who would come into Chi Alpha and are like, I'm not sure if I could be a leader. I don't know if I can do that. And there's various reasons behind it. Maybe you'd say, I don't know enough. I'm not far enough along on my journey with Jesus. You're in luck. We don't ask our small group leaders to know everything. And our small group leaders are like, amen, we don't know everything. No, we ask them to go on a journey of getting to know Jesus together with other people. You don't have to have all the right answers. You just need a teachable heart to learn. You don't need to know everything. Just give your small group what you got. Maybe your concern or a concern could be, I'm not outgoing enough. I'm super shy. Okay, maybe during Welcome Week, you will not be able to make 300 friends and invite them all to Chi Alpha. Could you make one friend at the beginning of the year and talk to them about Jesus? Maybe two if you're getting rowdy. Instead of being like 30 people's best friend, could you be one person's potential best friend? Could you talk to a couple people? Give God what you got. Another concern, I don't have enough time to be a small group leader. Okay, you can't give 30 hours of small group leading. Could you give three? Could you give up some TV time or phone time to make disciples on campus and do the greatest mission field in the world? Because guess what? Jesus commands every single one of us to therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And all small group leaders are fulfilling that command, making disciples of all nations. You can do it without being a small group leader, but it's a lot simpler when you are a small group leader. It's not about what you can't give, but what can you give? I don't care if you can't give as much time as other people. So I think often, something that keeps people from stepping into leadership, and this is small group leadership or leadership in general, right, is comparison. Maybe you look at your small group leader, like, they spend so much time. They're so good at this. I could never do that. For example, Hope and Grace right here are two freaking amazing small group leaders. They're so good at it. Their girls are like, amen. They're great. They give a lot of time to their small group, and it's awesome. Maybe you don't have the same amount of time these girls do. That's okay. We don't need any more hopes and graces. That'd be scary. We don't, they're great, but we don't need more hopes and graces. We just want you. So we don't need your leader. We need you. We want you with your time, your talents, your heart. Give God what you've got. But this is so much bigger than small group leading. It goes to many other ways, but it certainly applies to small group leading. So if you're here wrestling with, I don't know enough, I'm too new, I don't have the right answer enough time, give God what you've got and sign up for LTC and just see what happens. And I promise you, no one will pressure you into it. If you're like, I really don't want to do it. And I'm like, yes, you will. That'd be really uncomfortable for all of us. So we will not do that. All right, so no matter what area, whether it is something with leadership or, again, with your own quiet time with God, being outgoing, some area, give God what you've got. If we would all give God what we have, I think he'd do some crazy things. Dare I say, if we all gave God what, he, what we've got, we might just see revival. Because God doesn't need the most talented people in the world to work through. He needs humble and hungry people who will give God whatever they can. 
Let's continue. Mark 9, 24. The boy's father exclaimed, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. See, the boy's father doesn't stop by saying, hey, I've got some faith, use that. That should be good enough, Jesus. No, he says, hey, God, this is what I've got, but could you fill the cracks? Will you fill my shortcomings? The man says, God, I'm gonna give you what I can, but I'm gonna rely on you for the rest. Faith requires reliance. If you wanna be a person of faith, it starts with relying on God to be enough when you are not enough. Relying on God looks like trusting him. I don't know about you guys. Maybe this is just a me problem. I struggle with worrying about a lot of things. I worry how my future's gonna look, worry about finances, worry about a lot of things. If you're constantly worried, though, specifically if you're constantly worried, did I do enough? Do I have what it takes? Will everything work out? That shows we're not relying on God. Over the last decade or so, we've seen a huge uptick in the amount of people who struggle with anxiety. A lot of this can be credited to us actually taking mental illness seriously, which is a very good thing. Some of it could be because of COVID. Clinical anxiety can have to do with wiring of the brain. There's all that. But I don't think that tells the whole story. Over the last generation, we've started telling this story that you can do anything you put your mind to, that you control your destiny. And if you work hard enough, you can achieve the American dream, which seems like a harmless message. But I think it's actually messed with our generation. We've been told that in our own strength, we have the power to do whatever we want. But that's not true. We can't rely on ourselves. We have too many inadequacies. We live in a world that says through strength, you can rely on yourself to achieve whatever you want. But reality is we are created to rely on God. We can't do whatever we put our minds to. Only God is big enough to always come through. You and I, we're gonna fall short sometimes. You are not gonna be perfect. That's the beauty of Jesus. He covered up for our mistakes. We live in a world, though, where we feel like we have to always be perfect. We have to put on Instagram that everything is going amazingly. So then we create be real so we can be real, but then we start faking be real. It's a crazy thing that happens. And then be, be real died, threads came up, and no one knows what happened to that. But anyways, we'll keep going. We're expecting ourselves to be something, to be enough, when we were not designed that way. I think a lot of anxiety comes from us not measuring up in a society that tells you you always have to measure up. But peace will come when we recognize that I am not enough and that's okay. I can rely on God to fill the cracks. I believe, but help my unbelief. This is what I've got, but I need you, Jesus, for the rest. Reliance means that you'll be honest when you fall short. We don't try to force everything to fit our will and our plans. The type A people are like, that sounds hard. I know it's hard. But reliance means we just rest in who God is. Every one of us is relying on something for our sustenance. Are you relying on yourself or relying on God? Because reliance is crucial to being used by God. Jesus would much rather use a messed up person who relies on him than someone who looks the part but doesn't rely on God. This is because if we think we have what it takes and we're like, I can figure this out, and then God moves in our lives... He won't get the credit. We'll take the glory. We'll say, I did it. I figured this out. When credit belongs to God alone, he wants the glory. So if revival comes to you and I, 
because it's something we do. We won't want to say this, but we'll take the credit. Here's an example. So let's say that Lang Hall gets filled up and every room in here is filled. But also everyone who came to Kyle for the night got a free pair of AirPods. God doesn't get the credit for that growth. Apple does. They did it. We bought them to get here, all right? That's, not, that's us relying on something else. We're like, yes, Jesus still gets the credit. He, no, he did not. It's about the promotional campaign. He doesn't get the glory then. But if revival comes because we are people who seek God and who pray and fast and run after the things of God, then he will get all the glory. As many of you know, Taylor and I tried to get pregnant for a year before she got pregnant with our boys. We prayed like crazy during that year. We cried out to God. And then when she finally got pregnant a year later, we gave him all the glory. I preached a sermon on it literally a year ago right now. It's kind of cool. Well, a year ago last week. Anyway, it's pretty cool. Because we knew it was all him. However, if we would have got pregnant after the first time trying, we probably wouldn't have given God as much glory. He would deserve the glory, but we probably wouldn't have get, given it to him. We would have thought, well, Taylor and I... We came together, we did the baby-making thing, and then a baby popped out, or two in our case. God wouldn't have gotten the glory. That would have been biology, just mathematical. When, when people love each other and do these things, babies tend to happen. We're going to teach on that next week. It'll be really fun, I promise. Uh, see, that's biology. That's not God moving in power. You're all like, stop it, that's gross. Uh, amen. <laughs> that's true. God got all the glory for our boys because it clearly wasn't anything we did. We tried on our own for a year. We just couldn't seem to make it happen. I was like, sorry, boys, I'm trying my best. It's all I got. But our reliance on God made it so that he got the glory. And see, the story of the father and son, the basic principle of this story is that if we want to see God move, we got to be people of faith who rely on God so that he will get the glory. But maybe you're here tonight, and maybe this idea is really hard for you. Maybe you really struggle. I'm going to go out and let me say some of you really like logic. You're like, I love to think my way through things. I want to think, and then overthink, and then overthink that, then overthink that, and then stop, and then go to sleep and get up and do it again. Maybe you hate taking risks. You're always focused on what you don't have. Maybe you hate relying on others. Maybe you had a parent that you couldn't rely on, so now you feel like you have to be the one to measure up and figure it all out on your own. If that's you tonight, I want you to know that it's okay. You're in a good place. And there's things you can do. For example, if you struggle in one of these areas, you really struggle that faith, you can pray. Like, well, that seems simple. It is simple. Follow the path of the Father. Remember what the Father did? He said, I believe. Help my unbelief. All the Father's doing is praying, Jesus, will you give me more faith? So if you're here and you're struggling to have faith, Ask God for more. Jesus says time and time again, ask and receive. If you want more faith in God, if you want to stop trying to rely on yourself but trust in him, if you want to be able to stop worrying so much, if you want to actually believe that God can do a move in your life, ask him to fill you with faith. Here's my encouragement. Commit to praying for a few minutes a day to ask God to increase your faith. I promise if you spend five minutes a day praying over the next year, God increase my faith, I believe, help my unbelief, you'll be a completely different person in a year. The Father does this. That's all he does, he prays. He puts himself out there. He asks God, increase my faith. He takes some risks. Well, let's read what happens next after the Father does all these great things. Mark 9, 26. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. 
Okay? Here's the, boy, or the father's good news. His boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. He's dead. The man prays with faith. The man is bold. He takes a risk. And it looks like all hope is lost. It looks like God does not come through. So as I said, it took Taylor and I a year to get pregnant with our boys. Last January, so like back in, so not 24, but 23, we found out we were pregnant. And then a few weeks later, we found out they were twins. I was like, God, you overdid it. Why, God? I need more faith. I do not believe. I don't want to believe. Take this. I'm just kidding. I love them. Twins is interesting, though. Having twins, A, leads double diapers, but also there's a lot of possible complications. We were warned in the beginning. They, he, like a doctor sat us down, this old guy sat in his office and literally for like an hour told me all the things that could go wrong. And while he was telling me all these things, I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention. I was still doing numbers. Like, how am I going to afford twins? I'm a pastor of college students. God, help me. But anyways, while he was telling us this long list of things, one thing he said is your twins might develop twin-twin transfusion syndrome, which is TTTS. All that is is when one twin basically takes all the nutrients from the other one. I didn't think much about it. Again, I was really confused and stressed and doing math. But then a few months goes by, April rolls around, and we go to our ultrasound, and the doctor pulls us back in the office and says, okay, your twins have developed TTTS, and you need to go to the Mayo Clinic right now, and you need to have emergency surgery to fix it. And if you don't, your babies will both die. He said, the doctor is going to need to shoot a laser inside of Taylor's womb, sever the connection between the two boys. Well, we didn't know they are boys yet, two twins, or they will die. That was on a Monday, by the way, and I was supposed to preach the next day, so I called Pastor Casey. I'm like, hey, yo, you're up. Got to go. Bye. And she did a great job. Thank you. Pastor Casey's awesome, so thank the Lord for her. But anyways, so after that, we pack up our things, and we drive to Rochester, Minnesota. On this drive, there's so many thoughts in my head. It's really hard to think straight. We get to that doctor. They schedule our surgery for the next day, and so the next morning, bright and early, we show up, and they take Taylor away to go have surgery. And they leave me by myself to go wander. So I wander around Rochester alone with my thoughts. As my wife is in surgery, my future children's lives are on the line. So in this moment of crisis, I obviously decided to do what any sane man would do. And I went and got myself a pour-over coffee. And so that was fun. That's my, you're like, what's pour? Oh, it'll change your life. Anyway, so I go get a cup of coffee. And as I'm drinking coffee, walking around the city of Rochester, I feel the Lord speak to me. It's very clear. One of the very few times I felt the Lord speak clearly to me. Do you believe? I got you this far. I gave you the twins. Will you trust me with them? Would I have faith even in hard times? Even when it seemed like hope was lost. I'll be honest. I don't consider myself like a strong, faith-filled person. I'm very logical. I'm quite cynical. I struggle to believe. I'm a worrier, like I said. So I didn't know what to do. So what I decided to do in that moment as I was walking around Rochester was to pray the prayer that I had been praying for almost a year and a half at that point for us to get pregnant. I prayed what is my favorite Bible verse in the entire world. I prayed the only Bible verse that I have hanging up in my office. I believe. God, I need you to help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. And obviously, for us, God came through. We have two amazing boys now. But that's not the point. The point is not, if you just pray, and muster up enough like energy, everything will work out. That's not reality. The point is not that God is going to fulfill every one of your desires. 
Because see, I have a good friend of mine whose twins developed the exact same syndrome. They, all, they had TTTS. This man loves Jesus way more than I do. He is full of faith, yet one of his twins passed away. See, the point is not life will always be perfect if you have faith. The point is, we need to be full of faith when life is good and when life's not so good, when the world seems bright and when life is at its darkest, when things don't work out, when things seem like they're not gonna work out, we need to be people of faith. Because true faith is shown when life is hard. When our world is spinning, but we decide to trust God. When we trust that in the end, it will work out for good because God is in control. And if you remember from the beginning of our story tonight, God is a compassionate God. We as Jesus followers in our culture are actually in a situation quite similar to what I was in walking on Rochester. If we look around our world, the situation seems bleak. You may not have noticed, the world is not becoming more like Jesus. Actually, most people are running away from God right now. Every denomination in America is shrinking, except one, which is actually the denomination we're a part of, so that's kind of cool to see somebody's a God, but that's not the point from this story. All the other denominations are shrinking. The church in America is plummeting. It seems to be dying, yet we're saying we're ready for revival? This does not seem like a time for God to move. But it is darkest right before the dawn. Every time that the world has experienced revival, it came in a time where the church was in spiritual decline. When all hope was lost, revival happens and the people of God rise up again. There's something about God that really likes taking dead things and breathing it back to life. Jesus wants to do that in our culture because beauty can come from the ashes. We are in a perfect time for revival. God is ready to breathe something over the global church. God wants to breathe revival to our campus. Will we give up because it looks like hope is lost? Or will we press in and be people of faith even when life seems dark? Will we believe for revival? Because if we do, if we'll be people of faith, resurrection can happen. Mark 9, 27. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. The boy was revived. Revival came after what appeared to be death. This is what Jesus wants to do in our world. He wants to breathe life to our dead bodies. He wants to come through. He wants to bring revival. But we must be people of faith. Remember, I believe. Help my unbelief. If we want to see God move, we've got to be people of faith. How do we do it? There are two simple ways to become a person of faith. We'll work through these very quickly. So how do you grow in faith? Number one, pray bold prayers. Pray bold prayers. Our story ends by saying this. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Revival will only happen through prayer. Prayer actually is the biggest way to show faith. Think about what prayer is for a second. You're by yourself, talking to thin air. No one usually responds. They do, you're more spiritual than me. So you're sitting here like, well, uh, Jesus, guy up there. I pray for my dog to live longer. Amen. Right? It's ridiculous. Prayer is one of the most foolish things in the world when you look from a worldly perspective because you're sitting there talking to nothing, asking him to do things that seem seemingly impossible. When you pray, you are showing faith. You're showing you believe in something greater. Prayer is us admitting we do not have what it takes. Prayer is an act of humility because prayer is us saying, God, I can't do this on my own. 
For example, you probably don't pray every time you need to go to class. You just get up and walk to class. You can walk to class on your own. You're not sit- Maybe some of you are sitting in your bed praying this, but most of the time you're not praying, God, walk me to class. I need help. I can't do this my own. No, you get up you're off your butt and you walk because you don't need God's help. Prayer is us saying, God, I need you to move. I can't do this on my own. So prayer will precede revival because prayer makes it so that God gets the credit, not us. Karl Barth says it this way, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. If we want an uprising, if we want the disorder of the world around us to change, we must pray. Pray is the greatest act of rebellion we can do because it's us saying, I'm not gonna be like the rest of my culture that relies on myself. I'm gonna rely on God and see what happens. But we can't stop with just prayer. We must pray bold prayers. Pray things that risk us looking stupid if God doesn't come through. For example, Praying for your next meal when you know you have a dining plan is not a bold prayer. Just go to the Rialto. You can pray if you want, but your food's covered. God does not have to come through. Your card will come through. Praying for those things is not bad. Hear me. Please be grateful. Pray for those things. But praying for your next meal when you have a dining plan is not bold. Those of you that live off campus without a job, praying for your next meal is bold, okay? For you can pray those bold prayers. We gotta pray things that make us quake a little bit, that make us shake and see if God doesn't show up what's gonna happen. There is a man named George Mueller, and he was full of faith. George was not a wealthy guy by any stretch of imagination, but he decided he wanted to honor God with his life. And the way he wanted to do that is he decided that he was gonna open up multiple orphanages and take care of hundreds of children. He didn't raise any money. He had absolutely no way to pay for this. But he's like, I trust God. He will come through and fund it. I will be moving to England and opening up orphanages. I'm like, okay, bright idea, guy. He never asked for money, but God always provided. God provided for every one of those kids, and he never asked one soul for money. Here's one story from his autobiography. It says this. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller, So George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. Remember, there's no food. He's like, just have them go sit down. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. Continues on in his book. He thanked God for the food. He said, God, thank you for this food that's not here. And he waited because George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning, so I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. He said, the milk's going to spoil by the time the wheel is fixed. Could you use some free milk? George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk, which was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. That's bold faith. That's bold if God, George Lewis looking like an idiot, looking terrible. If, he, if God didn't come through, he was going to have 300 angry, starving children on his hands. My kids are six months old, and when they're angry, I'm terrified. There's two of them. I can't imagine 300 children, like, all yelling at me because I don't have food. George is like, God's got this. What if we were people that had some George Mueller-level faith, prayed bold prayers? Oh, it would be fun to see what God did. Step number two, pray bold prayers. But then you got to take bold steps of faith. The formula for faith is prayer plus obedience. So we got to pray big prayers, but then we got to take big steps of faith. If we never step out in faith, we're never giving God a chance to move. 
We have to do our part. One time, Jesus' disciples were in a boat, and Jesus decided just to walk near them. So they look over, like, yo, that's Jesus. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing out there? He starts talking, he's walking on water. Okay, so Jesus is walking on water, and he sees his disciples. Then one of them, Peter, is a little bit excited. He's like, hey, yo, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to walk out there with you on water. And I imagine Jesus is like, okay, walk out with me. You don't have to tell you. You can try on your own. But then anyways, now I want you to imagine this. Imagine Peter says that, but he's like, hey, Jesus, I'm not going to get out of the boat, though. Like, you got to come and pick me up and, like, guide me like a ballerina or something. Like, I'm not going to actually take a step onto the water. Like, I want to walk on water, but I'm not about to get out of this boat. That sounds scary. Peter wouldn't have walked on water. The only way Peter was able to walk on water is because he took a bold step, he got out of the boat, and he started walking. If you want God to move in your life, quit asking God move without taking the steps it requires to see bold things happen. If we want to see God move in our life, we got to get out of the boat. We gotta give God whatever we've got. We need to do things that seem hard and require God to move for them to work. That builds faith. Faith is never built by playing it safe. Faith is built when we take bold steps. Faith is not built by letting fear of failure define your future. I think we often pray things like, God, use me in a powerful way to reach my friends. I want my friends to come to know Jesus but then we never start conversations with our friends about Jesus. Most of the time, Jesus isn't gonna just like, hey friend, go ask that Chi Alpha person about, G- about me. It'll be fun, I promise. No, and if so, they probably feel really uncomfortable. Like, why is someone talking to me? No, Jesus probably isn't gonna force them. You have to actually like talk to them about Jesus if you wanna be used to help them get to know Jesus. If we want revival, Our bold prayers must be accompanied by bold steps. If we want revival, we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to do hard things. We gotta talk to people about Jesus. We have to get out of the boat. Is there something in your life that God has asked you to do? Do it. Maybe God's asked you to give something up. Maybe it's a video game console. Maybe it's your TV. Maybe it's an app. Maybe it's even like a relationship that's not healthy for you. Is there something God is asking you to give up for him that you're scared to give it up for him? Will you have the boldness to say, I trust you, God, and take a step out of the boat? If you're here tonight and you wanna grow in faith, you gotta pray bold prayers and you gotta take bold steps of faith. To go back to the beginning of our story, our story started with, by the father saying to Jesus, well, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not. The disciples wanted to heal the boy, but they couldn't do it. The men were being asked to do something that was beyond their ability. They were not equipped and it seemed impossible. That is us right now. We're in the same boat. Jesus is asking us to do something that seems impossible. Revival in a day of spiritual decline and he wants to use you to help him do it. Jesus is maybe asking you to do something that you don't feel equipped enough to do. Even though you may not know a lot, maybe you have some sin struggles, maybe you're not outgoing, maybe you feel seriously unequipped to help God in his mission for revival. Jesus still wants to use you. Jesus wants to use us unequipped people because then he'll get all the glory. 
So maybe that thing that you think is your greatest weakness will actually be the greatest thing that God uses because that's showing God's glory off. Like, yeah, I struggle with this sin issue, but because of the glory and goodness and grace of God, I've seen freedom. That thing that you feel like makes it so God can't use you might be that one way you connect with people. Maybe there's someone on campus who struggles with the same thing you struggle with. And they're waiting for someone who loves Jesus to be honest about it and say, hey, I've been there, but we can get better together. You may not be equipped to do whatever God's asking you. Here's the beauty though. Jesus does not call the equipped. He equips the called. It's not our job to be good enough. It's our job to say, yes, I'll give you what you got, what I got. Jesus is asking us to do something that we cannot do on our own. But if we rely on him, if we will be people of faith, we will see revival. The main idea tonight is faith breeds revival. Faith breeds revival. We've spent this whole beginning of the calendar year talking about revival. If we want to see it, if we want to see God move, if we want to see student after student come to know Jesus, we have to believe he can actually do it. We got to be like the Father and say, I believe. And then we got to pray, help my unbelief. And then take the steps of faith in front of us. In the middle of our story that we read, if you remember right, the boy was seemingly dead and Jesus brings him back to life. That is actually a foreshadow of what Jesus was gonna do on the cross. The reason any of us can have faith is because Jesus is bigger than death. Jesus, the God of the universe, came to earth and lived a perfect life and then died on a cross to defeat death and give it to have no hold on you anymore. So no matter what you've done in your life, you can return to God and God can breathe life over you. If there's dead things inside of you, God can breathe them back to life because Jesus died on a cross. So if you will follow Jesus and make him Lord of your life, he will breathe new life in you and cover every sin you've ever made. But it starts with faith. Kai Alpha, Jesus is looking at you. Will you trust him? Will you give him your life? Will we be people of faith? If we do, watch out. We'll be ready for revival. You could all stand with me. I have a few ways I want us to respond tonight. If you're here tonight and you've never taken that first step of faith with Jesus, never gotten out of the boat of being in control of your own life and giving it to Jesus, if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to do it. So everyone will close your eyes, bow your heads. What I'll do is I'll count to three. And on the count of three, I want you to take a, like a metaphorical step of faith by raising your hand. So on the count of three, if you want to give your life to Jesus and make him the Lord of your life, raise your hand as a symbol to God. One, two, three. Tons of hands going. You're not alone. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for the people who get to enter your kingdom tonight, God. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in your kingdom, God. Thank you for breathing life into us and giving us a road back to you. Second way I want us to respond, we've been doing this all series, and I want to do it one more time tonight. So I'd like you to open your hands up as just a symbol of opening your heart to God. And so I'm going to give us a few prompts. And if you want to respond to that and you struggle with that area, I want you to raise a hand up to God and we'll pray. So if you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you've let a fear of failure kind of define you for a little bit. You've been scared to take risks. I want you to raise a hand right now to Jesus, just as a way to say, Jesus, I'm not going to let fear of failure to find me. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that we will not be people who are afraid to take risks, God, but we will not let failure define us, God, but we will be people of faith 
Jesus, I pray that we will take bold steps of faith. I pray that some people in here are gonna take a risk of faith and ask someone about Jesus, that they will take bold steps of faith and talk to people about your love, God, that even tonight we'll see gospel conversations because fear does not define us anymore, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands back here as an open posture to God. The second way I want us to respond is if you're here tonight and you've struggled with the idea of feeling like you're not good enough to be used by God, there's something wrong with you, or you feel like you just don't have what it takes, I want you to raise a hand to say that you're gonna admit that God is good enough to cover the cracks. So raise your hand right now if that's you. Jesus, I pray for a holy confidence in you, God. Jesus, I pray that we will approach your throne room with confidence that you can use us, God. I pray against anyone who's struggling with insecurity, that they're not good enough to be used by you, God. I feel like there's people in here who are struggling because they feel like they're just too shy to make an impact for you, God. That they have too much introversion, that they're too socially awkward, God. I pray that we will not let that define us, that our introversion or extroversion will not define us, but our obedience to you will define us, God. That shyness will have no foothold in our lives, God, but we'll say yes to you. Jesus, I just pray if there's anyone who feels like a sin has made it, they're not good enough to be used by you, God, that they'll see that their sin does not define them, but you define them as son or daughter of the King, King Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. We're going to end tonight just singing one more song. Singing a song about miracles and God moving. We're believing for God to do the impossible over these next 12 months over 2024. We think God wants to do some crazy things. So as we finish off this series together, I want you to boldly take steps of faith to do something in worship. Maybe that'll look like coming up here and kneeling at an altar or standing up here. Maybe it looks like raising your hands for the first time, spreading out. I don't care. But in some way, take a bold step of faith and respond to God in a way that makes you slightly uncomfortable as a way to step out. And let's pray as we sing this song for God to do the impossible. I'm gonna pray and then we'll sing together. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for everything you've done in our community, God. Thank you for the revival that's to come. Jesus, we know revival is coming. God, we ask that you use us. Don't pass us by, God. Help us be people who can just be ready for revival, that we'll find restoration in this, God, that we'll be restored, God. I pray that we'll be devoted people of you, God, that are devoted to you, that will just smash things that get in the way, God. If there are any just jars that we need to smash, things that have been we've been holding back from you, I pray that we will give that to you, Jesus. God, I pray that we will be consecrated people, that we will be set apart in holiness, that we'll be set apart in just our devotion to you so we can be used by you, God. Help us to be devoted. Help us to be consecrated and help us to be people of faith, King Jesus, who says, I believe, but God help my unbelief. And Jesus, we pray for the revival of 2024 to be something that changes the world. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.